Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we talk about an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, writer and film critic, and my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, mystery man. Ooh, mystery man. That's good. Well, hopefully not too mysterious to offer your thoughts on our choice for this episode. Uh, in this season, we're talking about the year 1994. Your choice for this episode. That is true. That is true. Uh, we're talking about 1994 in this season, and uh, we each made one personal pick uh, for a movie that we wanted to talk about, a favorite from the year, or a movie that we thought was interesting. And on this episode, we are talking about my pick, which is Wes Craven's New Nightmare, uh, which is a favorite of mine, personally, a movie that I've seen numerous times that I first saw, I'm sure, in 1994, uh, although not I don't think I saw it in the theater, but and definitely saw it on on video, probably rented from a Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or something like that. Saw it on VHS. I'm guessing you did not ever see this movie never, until recently. Never saw it. This was my first time watching it. Uh, I will admit, I'm not the biggest horror movie fan, but I do like more kind of like um, suspense thriller, you know, kind of mind trippy stuff. So I never saw it before this thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, uh, we'll get into your, your thoughts on it. First, we'll talk a little bit about the, the history of New Nightmare. Um, this was the seventh movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Correct. It followed, thank you. We're having some difficulty We're talking about doing math in the last episode and, uh, you know, counting, maybe not our strong suit. I fact-checked you. Thank you. Because our producer is over there. Texting. Yes, uh, our producer, David Rosen. My Wi-Fi is out, guys, so I, I'm trying to look this up. but I'm sure. His Wi-Fi is out. Oh, my God. I thought he said his wife flies out. <laughs> like he was going to do some Henny Youngman one-liner. My wife Boy, flies her, out. Her yeah. arms are tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, the seventh, the seventh movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, it came 10 years after the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, it was Wes Craven's return uh, to directing a Nightmare on Elm Street film after uh, directing the first film and not directing any of the sequels. Uh, and it followed Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare, which of course was not the final nightmare. Uh, but this movie takes a different approach that we'll talk about uh, in this sort of meta-narrative and doesn't continue directly the story of the previous Nightmare on Elm Street films. Um, it was not a big box office success. Uh, it made $19.7 million at the box office, and it is the lowest grossing film in the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, um, which doesn't surprise me, even though I like this movie. It's uh, sort of an odd one out uh, in the franchise uh, in terms of its approach. Um, but it was mostly well-reviewed. Um, Roger Ebert uh, gave it a thumbs up, although it did get a thumbs down from Gene Siskel. Uh, and Ebert said, serious fans of horror movies relate only in a secondary way to the chills themselves. They're connoisseurs of the genre, the special effects, the makeup, the in-jokes. They're going to love this movie, which seems to have been made not only for, but by Fangoria fans. But it also works for general audiences. I haven't been exactly a fan of the Nightmare series, but I found this movie with its unsettling questions about the effect of horror on those who create it strangely intriguing. So a movie maybe primarily for horror fans, but maybe also a way to reach non-horror fans, Jason Harris. I mean, it wasn't that scary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a fair, uh, a fair thing to say about this movie. Um, so Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly, interestingly using a similar reference to Ebert, but in a much less positive way, says, 
Uh, I can't imagine anyone but lifetime subscribers to Fangoria magazine getting excited at the prospect of seeing these people play themselves. Wes Craven's new nightmare lacks the trance-like dread of the original nightmare, and it features almost none of the ingeniously demented special effects that made the series' third installment, Dream Warriors, a hallucinatory exercise in MTV horror. This one is just an empty hall of mirrors. I think he's kind of overrating Dream Warriors there, which I assume you haven't seen. No, no, never saw it. But I, I would actually think it might be a cool horror movie to make um, about a actor who plays a bad, you know, a villain in a horror movie and then just takes on that persona in real life. That could be a fun little piece. Yeah, really I feel like that is something that had someone has to have done that at some point. Thanks for shooting down my picture. <laughs> no, it's a good it's a good idea. That's so it's such a good idea that someone else has already done it, I would think. Dave, can you research that? Yeah. Does your is your Wi-Fi working yet, yeah, Dave? It's back up now. Oh, and thank I will goodness. be looking the rest of the remainder of the runtime of this episode. Has your <laughs> has your wife returned? My wife is back in town. <laughs> good. Um and uh Janet Maslin in the New York Times said, uh, what's best about Wes Craven's new nightmare is its wicked unpredictability. If Mr. Craven's thinking about good and evil works. If, if Mr. Craven's thinking about good and evil works its way to a peculiar netherworld, his film gets there too. New Nightmare is Mr. Craven's own best defense against such charges, an ingenious, cathartic exercise in illusion and fear. So I feel like this movie uh, is in a way, in addition to being made for horror fans, is kind of made for critics because it has a lot of deconstruction of what a horror movie is. Yeah. Hey, I got a, I got a bone to pick with you, Maslin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> unpredictable are we really calling this unpredictable josh even you can admit it's pretty straightforward the predictive predictability of this thing uh, yeah i agree from a plot standpoint it is it is pretty predictable i think it's possible that what she was referring to is the unpredictability of how this movie was constructed to begin with um and you know maybe we'll talk about this later but we're certainly used to in uh, 2019 meta horror movies and horror movies that are self-referential about the genre. But at the time that this came out, that wasn't really a common thing. Right. And that is an interesting and to me, the most interesting part of it. But I have one other review that I'd like to please add go ahead from Robert England himself, ah. a.k.a. Freddy Krueger. Yes. He said, I think it stands the test of time, a fun reunion with Heather Langenkamp and John Saxon. Wes's script is clever and original, the self-referential horror story. So at least he liked it. Yeah, I think I saw somewhere that he cited it as his favorite movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street well, series. He gets to play himself for a while, so that's nice. Right? Yeah, he does. I'm sure he loves any chance to play a semi-normal person in any movie. Yeah, we should. It would be interesting to go and like look at other films he's been in where he hasn't played Freddy, and like kind of like review those uh, performances and everything. Yeah, I think I'm not. I'm not sure if I've seen other movies where he plays more of a normal person. I've definitely seen other horror movies where he doesn't play Freddy, but he still is like uh, a villain or right. it plays on the idea of him as a horror icon. Yeah, I don't want those. I'm talking about just totally out of the box Robert England stuff. Yeah, I, I want to say I can't remember now, but I feel like I saw a movie not that long ago that was from. Uh, pre Nightmare on Elm Street, before the original Nightmare on Elm Street, where he had just a, some small part as some normal guy, and you almost don't even notice him because he doesn't have that same kind of presence that he normally has in in horror movies. So uh, yeah, so you never saw this. Do, do you remember being aware of this movie at all when it came out? I mean, I had to have been aware, but I don't remember being aware. But obviously, I was aware of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Had you know? seen any of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? 
just bits and pieces. And I knew Johnny Depp was, you know, a part of it. And uh, Heather Langenkamp, uh, I personally knew her as uh, Marie from Just the Ten of Us, the older nerdy daughter. Um, and when I was doing a little research on this, what I found out was that uh, there was a, after Just the Ten of Us was canceled, there was like a crazed fan who like kept sending her like, you know, whatever, either voicemails or like messages or letters, like just threatening her. And Wes Craven used that as part of the uh, inspiration for the story here. Yeah, I think there's a lot in here that he took from things that happened in reality to the various people uh, that were involved in the movie, including the the big Northridge earthquake, which I think occurred during the production of this movie. Yeah, so what they did was they um, used real footage of damaged structures after the earthquake to kind of set the environment and build that up uh, as there are many shakes and quakes throughout the film are they earthquakes sometimes Hmm. sometimes not yes that is true uh so that's a little about the history of new nightmare and uh, we'll come right back and talk about our general thoughts on the film Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year for 1994. And in this episode, we are talking about my personal pick, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, uh, which, given that it's my pick, I think it's uh, fair to say that I like this movie a lot. I'd seen it a lot of uh, times prior to this. How many times have you seen this? I don't know. I mean, I it's interesting because I personally am not a someone who watches movies multiple times generally. So almost any movie that I've seen a bunch will be a movie that I watched a lot like as a teenager because that was when I watched movies multiple times. So I don't know, maybe between five and 10 times, which to me is a lot. That is a lot for anybody, I'd say. But just so you would just put this on as a teenager, like, hey, I got nothing to do tonight. Instead of like crying myself to sleep, <laughs> I'm going to watch uh new nightmare and let that cry me to sleep is that (laughs) yeah thank you uh this is of course before i met you and my teenage life you know uh achieved its uh... social life became robust (laughs) yes as we would not watch films on your vcr we would go to films in theaters yes uh yeah i mean i i like i said i saw this movie i'm sure i rented it at some point from uh, blockbuster or something like that and I would have had it on VHS. And, and weirdly enough, I've certainly at this point seen all the movies in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And I, I am a fan of Freddy Krueger. And some of these, the movies in the series are very bad. But uh, there are a lot of highlights to the series. But I think this movie, which plays so much on the history of the franchise and knowing about the history of the franchise, I'm, this may have been the first movie in the series that I saw. Uh, and as a movie that I watched numerous times before watching some other movies in the series for the first time. Well, that's weird. It is weird. Um, but so it's safe to say I was a fan. Uh, I certainly am a fan of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, um, which I probably saw around the same time. And I think is like one of my favorite movies of all time and is one of the best horror movies ever made. Um, maybe we can talk about it if we do a 1984 season, but Jason Harris, as a non-horror fan, as someone who had never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street film, what did you think of this movie? Eh. <laughs> I was like, it was eh. I didn't, I liked the kind of meta uh, situation where they're in real life and, you know, now this monster's coming to haunt them. And uh, I mean, that that kind of thing um, we saw uh, kind of explode in the genre and throughout other uh, genres, you know, um, as reality TV became more popular and whatnot. So 
Um, and I liked how nineties it was. It was very nineties from the wardrobe to the, to the, uh, you know, the houses and everything. And so that was nice. But, um, you know, my, my issues with it, first of all, the kid, the little kid who plays Heather Langenkamp's son, who, what's he from? He looks, uh, he was the kid in the original pet cemetery as well. Yeah, he's not he's not very good as a kid actor. You you'll give me that. I'll give you that. And I it was interesting to me watching this movie. I had the last time I had watched it was when I was doing a series of uh, posts on my blog at joshbellhateseverything.com. <laughs> good plug. <laughs> about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and I looked up what I had written at the time and I wrote about how the worst aspect of this movie is that kid actor's performance and how he in a way almost ruins uh, some of the stronger elements of this movie with his terrible performance. Um, but weirdly enough, watching it this time, I was more forgiving. Not that his performance is good, but that I could see his his sort of stiff, weird performance as a reflection of the mental state of this kid and the way he's meant to have been kind of infiltrated by, by Freddy Krueger or by uh, the zeitgeist of horror or whatever we want to call the the entity that's sort of the villain of this movie and that his responses to to horror stories are almost like uh responses of a, a kid with autism or something which in a way you could argue is uh something that this movie was uh forward thinking in yeah i mean you've made a fair argument the kid's name miko hughes yeah um so he's still acting um I would recommend 2006 Surf School, where he played Taz. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but, uh, um, you know, he's been in a lot of movies. And, um, yeah, I think you could argue that, like, you know, especially with the kind of idea of once you fall asleep, Freddy Krueger has control of you, your life, your world, that, like, he could have put him into an autistic state if that's what you want to go. What a what a good power for a villain to have. I, mean, not, I give not, you autism. That, I, I, this is sounds incredibly <laughs> insensitive, but but just just the idea of like that fixation on 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 a piece of culture or on a character, right. is and, something that we see. And you you know he he is always trying to watch the uh, film, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Which is weird that like after his, you know, Heather Langenkamp and his dad catch him, like they're not like, eh, let's put this movie somewhere else so he can't keep pushing play on the VCR. Well, but it's mystically being played. You know, there's a shot of the TV is unplugged and yet the movie still plays. Yeah. So basically the premise is that um, after the first six movies that now we have this character who was at first an ancient character and who has made different interpretations throughout time. And now... Um, because Wes Craven and the Nightmare Crew finished telling his story, he is now telling his own story and is finding his own life, and he's haunting the people of um, that that were actors in the movie. And there is this kind of blurring of reality where um, certain people call Heather Langenkamp Heather, which is her real name, and certain people call her Nancy, you know, which is her character's name, and. Um, I guess it must have been a big deal to get her back, even though her character had died, you know, in the film, what, in the third one, right? Right, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, she's only in the first one and the third one. Yeah. Uh, so it was a big deal at the time. Uh, and Dream Warriors is the third film in the series that was previously... Way, that would be a dope name for an 80s band, Dream <laughs> Warriors. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, speaking of 80s bands, the theme song from Dream Warriors, titled Dream Warriors, is performed by Dokken. And, you know, if you like Dokken, which I do... Uh, it's an enjoyable song. 
Um, I was hoping it was by Patty Smythe and Vandal because they sang The Warrior. You Is know? it a scandal, right? Not Vandal. Yeah, why not? Okay. Anyway, Dream Warriors, <laughs> um, which came out in, I want to say maybe like 1987 or 88, uh, was Heather Langenkamp's return as Nancy. And her character is killed off in that movie. Um, so yeah, she was someone I think who had a sort of a conflicted relationship with this series and whether she wanted to return or not return as that character. And they play on that a bit in this movie. Yeah. Um, and now from the meta standpoint, there were a lot of like, and stuff that probably I didn't get, but recreations of original set pieces and Wes Cravens had uh, saved original wardrobe pieces that they wore. So that must've been for you as a fan of the series, even though you had never seen any of them, apparently <laughs> something fun for you and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I think I had seen the first one again. I either saw it before this or around the same time, but none in between. And the references really are all to the first movie in the series. Yeah. Uh, lines of dialogue and the characters, the costumes that they wear, um, the bit where she's like trying to go up the stairs and they turn into mush. That's something that she does in the first movie. Um, so yeah, that's fun. And I feel like they weren't hitting you over the head with those references, which is why maybe if you hadn't seen those movies, you would not really understand. It would just kind of seem awkward. Um, but if you have seen the movies, you're aware of, of what he's playing on. So did you get any scares in this movie? Cause you know, it's a horror movie. You want to be scared. Right. I mean, I think for me personally, watching horror movies, I maybe am an odd horror fan in that I'm not really interested as much in whether I get scared or not. I can say a horror movie is good, even though I didn't like feel scared. Um, I think there are moments in this movie that are creepy and that are meant to be scary and that are unsettling. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I was scared. What were the most unsettling moments for you? Um, I think of the, the moment, the, the scene with, uh, in the hospital with, with the babysitter, Julie, where she's being kind of thrown around by Freddie and he's invisible to everyone else. And she's just like, on the ceiling or against the wall and that idea of like being trapped and no one else can see how you are being held, but yet you're in danger of dying um, is, a, is a creepy image. It didn't do much for me. All right. I mean, I just, at that point I was like, uh, you know, the one thing you could say about that is like, they built towards the reveal of Freddie. Like you didn't really see him till late. And that might've been the first sequence where you really see him in his full effect and he's killing people. But the whole hospital sequence, you know, there was just uh, there was just so much suspension of belief or disbelief that you had to use because it's like, you know, they're drugging the kid and they're saying, don't drug the kid. And now the mom's being arrested and maybe she needs mental care. And it's like it gets a little convoluted in there and whatnot. It does. Although I think one of the things that this movie does well, that, that the first Nightmare on Elm Street does really well is at a certain point you can no longer distinguish between what is quote, real and what is a dream or a hallucination. And you just kind of have to go with it and give up on the idea of being able to differentiate between the two. I also thought the lead nurse's performance, like she was out of a, a very regal sounding, you know, yeah. London style theater group. And it was very weird for her to be like, Heather, do you need some treatment today? You know, it was like, we're, where are you coming from? Is this, you know, the Morgan Freeman school of acting or whatnot? Yeah. I kind of like that about her. Again, it's, it's, it's unsettling. And you, you think like, this doesn't sound like a, a nurse or a doctor that how you would expect them to sound, but it's sort of this like fever dream vision of what, what that would be. Well, that's interesting that, you know, we, we both watched the same thing, both saw it and you as a fan of 
the series kind of took it one way and me as just the guy watching it took it the complete opposite way. Right. So. Yeah, and I, I do think there's a lot in this movie that that is better appreciated maybe if you're a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street or or just of horror movies in general. Um, yeah, thematically though, I think also something I was looking at, not in, in any reviews from the time, but just some like letterboxed comments is that something, and, and that I noticed too that resonates a lot more now maybe is that there's a lot in this movie about women being disbelieved and mothers being disbelieved in terms of like something is wrong with my child or someone is harassing me. You know, she gets those harassing phone calls and stuff like that. And she's kind of dismissed as like, oh, just ignore it. Just hang up the phone. And that's something that I think is talked about a lot now that wasn't really talked about in 1994. Yeah, that's fair. But it's not like she was saying, hey, um, I'm being, uh, you know, harassed by some random, random fan. She's like, I'm being harassed by a monster that does not exist. You know? So, I mean, yes, it's a horror movie and it has a monster in it, but thematically it's dealing with some interesting stuff. Jason, you need to believe that do better. Okay. I I will try to hear everyone out. And, uh, if they are being chased by invisible monsters, I will listen to you. Uh, thank you. What about now, you know, the Freddie, the look of the character, what do you what did you think of the look? Because they kind of tried to make it more realistic and, you know, kind of a more updated look for Freddy. Correct? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I mean, they give him like that trench coat, uh, which he hasn't had before. And I mean, especially because if you had been watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movie sort of in progression up to this point, Freddy became a cartoon character towards the end. And I think he may have actually literally become a cartoon character uh, at one point in like an animated series or something. But, you know, he became this jokester who wasn't scary at all anymore um, and was just a parody of himself. So this movie tries to to dial that back. And that's another thing that it does here. So the series, you kind of went from rooting for the kids, the victims to rooting for Freddy Krueger as you went on. And now we're kind of resetting the balance and everything. Yeah, I think so. That Freddy became such a pop culture sensation that he was the hero of those movies because he was the person that people loved. And the everyone else, the, the you know, human characters were disposable, especially because someone like Heather Langenkamp, you know, she didn't come back time after time. There wasn't someone to root for in every movie except for Freddy. Right. I did read an interesting tidbit that, uh, you know, Wes Craven wanted to ask Johnny Depp to be in this. And he thought Johnny Depp had become such a huge star. He was like too sheepish to, to ask. And then he ran into Johnny Depp and he's like, oh yeah, I was going to ask you to be. And he's like, dude, I totally would have done it. So, which would have been cool, right? Yeah, yeah, that would have been. I mean, I don't know how, if it would have been distracting or cool, but I think, you know, it could have been uh, an interesting twist. Right. Um, you know, especially if he did the Captain Jack Sparrow voice. That um, would have been, you know, uh, really, we talk about this movie being forward thinking. <laughs> right. Like his audition 10 years before, or eight years before. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is the big sequence where now we've left reality and we're into Freddy's like playground of horror and everything. It felt like a, a amusement park kind of style thing. I didn't that didn't work for me. You know, it was like so it's this kind of furnace under underground lair. And I just felt like, you know, if this is what we built to, I'd be like, eh, it's all right. It looks like an amusement park ride to me. Yeah, no, that is, I think my least favorite aspect of the film is that it does a really good job. I think of balancing the the more realistic aspects with the horror, horror stuff. And it builds slowly. We don't, like you said, we don't even really fully see Freddy until much later in the film. And then it felt like 
some studio note like, no, you got to have a big battle with fire. And so they they have that big final battle with Freddy. And I feel like it's definitely underwhelming and and loses a lot of the thematic resonance of the earlier part of the movie. Yeah, I was almost waiting for like a roller coaster car to <laughs> ride through there. Like, oh, you go like, ah, Freddy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's totally fair. And I think it's too bad because I love the final, final bit in this movie where they're reading the script as if it's a bedtime story. And it goes back to that idea of Freddy being this sort of mythological figure or the incarnation of this mythological figure. And I think it's just a perfect ending to this movie and to the series, which of course it's not actually because right. there's two more movies after this. Uh, one of them being Wes Craven's music of my heart. Um, <laughs> no, but the idea, but see, this is again, like, so the idea is this Freddie character can't die until Wes Craven finishes writing this script. They have to play out the story in real life. Um, but he can't write the script unless he's having the nightmares about Freddy because he's basing it all on that, right? So he's having these horrible nightmares and then he writes the script and then Freddy tries to kill, you know, um, Heather Langenkamp and little Dylan there. And then they kill him and then they're like, ah, I guess we could read this story about this horrible nightmare that we all live through now and everything. Well, right, but the way that Freddy stays out of the real world is by his story being told. And so the more they read that script, the more they make the movies, the more they watch the movies, the more Freddie is trapped in the world of storytelling. I, you know, that's fair, I guess. But it's, there are just certain things like Wes Craven comes in. I kind of like, they actually use Robert Shea that had a new line yes. as himself and Robert England, And then all these like, so they've kind of played this idea of like actors, you know, playing themselves or not actors playing versions of themselves. And then they all just disappear, you know? So uh, I I thought it was a little unbalanced in that regard as well. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think it would have been better if the climax had been able to incorporate some of that stuff, the meta stuff and the people playing themselves rather than just this basic horror movie thing. Yeah, like what if Wes Craven and Heather Langenkamp were in Robert Shea's office pitching New Nightmare and he was not going to greenlight it. And then Freddie came out <laughs> from the underworld and he's like, I will have my movie. <laughs> I think that's how most of these movies get greenlit, actually. <laughs> Some monster always gets his way. Um, so we talked a little or a lot about the, the kid, Michael Hughes, uh, and talked a bit about Robert England, but... What did you think of Heather Langenkamp? I think she's so good in this movie. I know. And she gets a lot of, she gets a lot of credit. It seems like throughout like reviews and everything. I thought she was fine, but maybe I underrated her a little because I wasn't that into the movie, but, um, you know, was she Marie level as she was on just the 10 of us debatable, but, uh, no, she seems like she's got a very, uh, uh, sturdy place in the hearts of horror fans everywhere. And she's well regarded for her work in this and the original and in dream warriors as well. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, she's an actress who gets, doesn't get enough respect uh, and maybe because she hasn't done a lot of notable work outside this series. And of course, just the 10 of us. Yeah. Tune in for Jason Harris's new podcast, Awesome Sitcom Year. <laughs> awesome Sitcom. Forget the year. We're just going to review every episode of just the 10 of us. Uh, but yeah, she is. Uh, she's so good in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but which, she was like this. So in the first one, she and she's very beautiful, physically yes. attractive. And but she's got that girl next door look, which is perfect. And she's very ravishing. So um, you could see that she would become this sex symbol to horror fans and now she's playing this mom and uh you know she's kind of toned down the 
the uh, vivaciousness, shall we say? Yeah. So, um, um, but I think there's a lot of life to this performance. And, and it does also play on the idea of uh, her appeal to horror fans and the, the demands from the fandom community for people to continue being the characters that, that the fans love. Um, but yeah, just as a character, I mean, as Nancy, which of course is a different character in The First Nightmare on Elm Street, she really carries that movie, a movie where Freddy himself had not been this pop culture icon yet. Uh, it really is a movie about Nancy and she's really good in that. And I feel like she's really good here and, and doing, uh, making that, that maternal instinct and the protectiveness of her family into something urgent that you care about, even if the kid uh, is kind of irritating and maybe there are certain points where you would like Freddie to cut his throat so he will stop talking. Um, yeah, I thought she was really good. So um, anything else that you particularly liked about this film, Jason? No. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's fair. Uh, I'm glad I made you watch it anyway. No, it's cool. That's the whole point of doing these personal picks is we're going to, um, you know, and my personal pick, which is coming up later in this season, isn't even a movie that I loved, but it's just a movie that I feel like we have to talk about. So we'll get there. Don't worry. Hold on audience, but I'm fine with you making me watch anything, Josh. All right. Not against my will, but consensually, of course. Yes, of course. Consensual movie watching is what we're all about here. (laughs) That is the message of awesome movie year. Watch (laughs) movies consensually with one another. Um, yeah. And I'll say, uh, I mean, I do, I do love this movie, although I, I fully acknowledge, uh, it has a number of flaws. I think part of it is my nostalgia for watching it as a teenager. Um, and I, it, it's not my favorite movie of 1994 necessarily, but is a movie that I think uh, holds up uh, surprisingly well and that deserves maybe a little more uh, attention than it's gotten in the past. Dave, you've seen it? Yeah, way back in the day. And to be honest, these movies, they do kind of run together in my mind. But this one was always probably my favorite of the series. So I... but. Like I said, they kind of all run together at this point. Yeah, well, you could have watched it again in preparation for this episode. <laughs> You're right. I no, he's got to he's got to take notes and do do math. So, uh, Josh, out of five of the ten children of just just the ten of us, <laughs> there aren't even ten children. There's probably like eight in the two we parents. The two parents. Come on, so, math, man. It's all out about of math. Five children from just the ten of us. How many just the ten of us children are you giving this? I, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. I like it, but it's definitely flawed. And I give it two children of just Ooh. the 10 of us. All right. But one of them can be Marie. Okay. okay. That's important. Right uh, so we'll be right back and talk a little about the legacy of Wes Craven's new nightmare. Welcome back to awesome movie year in this 1994 episode. We are talking about my personal pick Wes Craven's new nightmare, which Jason Harris did not like. Still don't. <laughs> um, uh, but whether you like this movie or not, uh, and and also we talked about how it was not really a big box office success, but I feel like it's had a big effect on the horror genre going forward. That's my favorite thing about this movie is that you could see the seedlings of where it's going to take the genre of mixing kind of real life and, you know, the fantasy world of horror. You know, obviously... The big movies that came out in the 90s, Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, they were all playing with the tropes of the genre and this melding of 
real life and, you know, the kind of uh, how do we stop the killer? Well, we have to know about the the genre and everything. So that I think is the most interesting thing about it is if you like horror movies and you like those types of movies in particular, this is a good starting point to get there. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of the reason that I mentioned uh, a little earlier, this movie maybe doesn't get as much credit as it deserves is that Wes Craven himself two years later, directed Scream, which was a massive hit and kicked off this whole trend. But Scream would not exist without New Nightmare. Yeah, I would agree with that. But you almost wonder if um, Scream is the better version of this concept. I mean, I I don't wonder. I I think that it is. It is. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think Scream is a, a better movie and is like just a straight up great movie, um, which maybe we'll talk about in 1996's awesome movie year. Yeah. Um, Which was an awesome movie year. It was. Um, so, so yeah, I know I agree. Scream is a better movie and uh, I better think, executes the concepts yes. of melding real life horror genre tropes kind of play and having a tongue in cheek feel to it. Right. No, I agree. But, but I do think that, that the, the groundwork for that movie and other movies like it was laid with this movie. And that I wonder if, scream and things like that could be made if they hadn't first made that kind of movie with a character like Freddy Krueger that had a built-in franchise audience that a studio would be able to go for. And I even wonder though, do you think it had any influence on other genres playing with this idea of mixing reality and what we have come to accept as reality, you know, this Hollywood world, whether it's the Truman show or Stranger Than Fiction, you know, those are those are two good movies that deal with these sub- topics without having uh, taking their subjects to a uh, adventure park underworld. Right. No, I think I think so. I mean, certainly this isn't the first meta movie ever made, um, but I do think that you could um, expand its influence that way or even things in like the world of comedy where the idea of, of celebrities playing, quote unquote, themselves or like versions of themselves where you go to like Curb Your Enthusiasm and, you know, you might see New Nightmare and Curb Your Enthusiasm is very, very different. Uh, but the idea of the celebrity playing this heightened version of themselves is something that that came out of this movie. Yeah, Larry David, admit <laughs> it. You stole your whole concept from 1994's Wes Craven's New Nightmare. This is awesome movie year. That is our whole theory and we're going to stick with it. I think Freddy Krueger is coming for Larry David. I want to see Freddy Krueger versus Larry David. I want to see Freddy Krueger played by Larry David. (laughs) Either one of those would be amazing. Um, So the other legacy horror wise is that this movie basically ties the hands of the Nightmare on Elm Street series and gives it nowhere else to go. And there were two more Nightmare on Elm Street movies after this, both of which really struggle to create a new direction. Um, there was Freddy versus Jason, which I think is from 2003, um, where Robert England returned as Freddy Krueger and bought Jason from the Friday the 13th movies. And it was back into, there was nothing meta about it. It's it's a, just a straight up horror slasher movie. Um, and then there was the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010, uh, starring Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger, produced by your friend Brad Fuller. That's a name drop and nobody knows. <laughs> um, but uh, also something that, that kind of went nowhere. It didn't spawn a new franchise or anything like that because I think Freddy is done at this point. I mean, I, I mean, other than the fact that I just gave him that golden idea, you know, <laughs> of the actor playing the uh, getting too into character. What about this, though? What if 
Freddie has a kid and, you know, he has to train him to be this horrible, horrible, awful demon creature. And that's the new new nightmare is uh-huh. that uh, Freddie is training his kid to be the next Freddie. All right. There you, you've pitched so many fascinating films. We got to get Robert Shea from New Line. In, uh, Does New Line still exist right now? Yeah, not in, I'm sure Robert Shea isn't there anymore. But um, yeah, maybe. And as long as we get Freddie to threaten him, he'll uh, he'll greenlight all your ideas. And the kid will be played by Larry David. <laughs> Can I just say real quick that uh, you guys asked me to look for a movie where the actor ends up being the killer. Um, this isn't a movie, but I'm pretty sure that happened in American Horror Story Roanoke. Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Am I right here? Uh, maybe. I haven't watched American Horror Story since like the second season. Do you know who was on a couple of episodes of American Horror Story, though? Larry David? A, Heather Langenkamp. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. All right. Nice. So and my, my one other thing about the legacy of this movie is uh, something that they touch on when Heather is, is on the talk show and especially is so prevalent in fan culture now is the idea that these actors can never be released from the characters that they play. Yeah, but she can make a lot of money doing it. So going to conventions and signing autographs and taking pictures. So I think it's a fair uh, critique, but also, you know, if you lean into it, you, you get a lot of money. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I'm not saying it's always an awful thing, but I think that is something that that fans feel entitled to now more than ever with the internet and with those, all those fan conventions and stuff. And if someone doesn't want to do that, they're seen as ungrateful. Thanks a lot, Harry Knowles. What? <laughs> no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, we can blame Harry Knowles for some stuff. Okay, fine, we'll do it. Um, any further thoughts on the, the legacy of New Nightmare? Still no. All right. <laughs> Jason Harris bringing so much to the table. I've added a lot to this episode, giving you a counterpoint with your, you know, your, you know, your, your, my watch this 10 times, Josh. Yeah. I mean, come on. I was like 14 or 15 when I maybe if you didn't watch it so much, you would finally move out of your mother's basement. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) my mother doesn't even have a basement. Well, then where are you living? (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that note. That is Wes Craven's new nightmare. And that is this episode of awesome movie year. Uh, you can find us on social media on, uh, where are we, Jason? We're awesome movie year on everything. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and awesome movie I personally am at Jason Harris comedy on all of those things or J Harris comedy. My website is goforjason.com. You can find me on Twitter at SignalBleed and on Facebook at Josh Bell Hates Everything, uh, as well as JoshBellHatesEverything.com. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can find Piecing It Together on all those social media sites at PiecingPod and check out the website, PiecingPod.com. And next week, we have a very interesting film on Awesome Movie Year. It's our foreign film that we're choosing uh, for next week. And we are going with Wong Kar Wai's Chung King Express. Yeah, so uh, another kind of swerve and uh, be interesting to discuss that. So tune in for our discussion of Chung King Express. Starring Larry David. (laughs) This has been Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west.